For the first time in four years, North Korean President Kim Jong-un has traveled outside the country for a summit between Russia and North Korea, hosted by Vladimir Putin, to discuss trade and connections within the region and how that affects their respective countries. This has caught the attention of the West as it could lead to further developments in relations between the two nations, which could greatly impact the current war in Ukraine. That brings us to the questions of how we got here and where we may be heading next. Hall University, this is The Global Current. I'm your host, Trisha Ballion. With me today are two fellow Seton Hall students. Covering the domestic situation today is our analyst, Annie Hebel. Yeah. Hi, Annie. <laughs> Hi, Trisha. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. And focusing on the international aspect today is Amelia W. Hi, Amelia. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course. And now I just want to get started with a little bit of background information regarding this whole situation. So I'm going to turn to you, Annie, for that. And can you just let us know what has been the relationship between Russia and North Korea in the past? Yeah, absolutely. So Russia and North Korea are long historic allies, even dating back to, think, the Korean War. Russia was one of the first supporters of North Korea, of their kind of dominance over the entire peninsula. They've been allies throughout the presidency of Vladimir Putin and even before. And especially in 2022, when the invasion of Ukraine happened, um, North Korea has always been pretty much the only international supporter of Russia, one of very few. The two, I mean, they're two authoritarian states who are, are always attempting to make themselves larger on the global scene, so they're kind of a natural allyship that has uh, really been dominant for both of their existences. Gotcha. And would you say have Putin and Kim Jong-un aligned themselves historically with the relations of their predecessors? Yes, absolutely. Gotcha. And on that topic, how have we seen Putin and Kim Jong-un interact before and why? So they've kind of been allies. A lot of a lot of what we've seen has been kind of symbolic. Kim Jong-un does not travel outside of, of North Korea very much. So this was this meeting is kind of an especially rare occurrence for several reasons. He hasn't traveled outside of North Korea since 2019 when he met with Donald Trump to discuss kind of relations between the U.S. and North Korea. And that was it was a bit of a disastrous of a, a meeting. So since then, we haven't seen Kim Jong-un leave North Korea at all. But prior to 2019, we saw the two meet meet frequently. They would discuss arms and food and various things that they could relate on. Gotcha. So this meeting isn't out of the ordinary per se, but it's definitely taken an interesting turn in, in recent patterns with Kim Jong-un's behavior. Exactly. I think that's what makes it most, most noteworthy is that it is the first time that Kim Jong-un has left the country since the beginning of, of the COVID pandemic. And it's also notable because of kind of Russia's, Russia's position in the Ukraine war, you know, as, as an actively warring state. It's, it's an especially interesting move and could have major implications for that conflict, especially. Mm -hmm. And on that note of the conflict, all the implications, I want to get into what actually happened in the meeting, all those details. So just generally, what was discussed between the two of them? What do we know? So the biggest thing that we saw them discuss is an exchange of food for weapons, to put it simply. So each side has a problem. Kim, Kim Jong-un and North Korea. Um, North Korea has always been a very isolationist state. They do not have a, an externally facing economy. Everything is very inwardly focused. They produce all of their own food. And what little trading that they do produce was completely halted during the pandemic and has really, they have not been able to financially recover. Their economy is in shambles. Their people are starving. And so what North Korea needs is food. And on the other side, you have Russia, who is inactive combat. 
they need weapons. They are producing weapons at a much slower rate than what they are using, specifically ammunition. And as a result, they are, are really hurting. And because they've kind of lost all of their partnerships, they really are in a situation where they're kind of, they're direly in need of, of arms and of assistance. And so you have this position where both sides are very much hurting for resources and have the kind of very unique position of being able to help each other. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely seeing what, what pushed them together in that sense. And as we were stating before, Kim Jong-un has rarely left North Korea. So where did they meet in Russia? Correct. So they kind of met in, in various different locations throughout Russia. Kim Jong-un kind of towards several notable Russian facilities. One of the most pertinent places where they met is the Vostochny Cosmodrome, which is um, kind of the head of Russian space travel, which is a very interesting kind of kind of turn. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I know you touched on this a little bit before, but if you could just give us some more details on what instigated the meeting. What does Russia need? What does North Korea need? And just get more into that. Yeah, absolutely. So as I said, uh, Russia needing weapons is the biggest kind of instigator from that aspect. Kind of theorized that that's what drew them together mostly is Russia reaching out to North Korea. So to give some statistics, Russia produces about 2 million rounds annually of ammunition, which is pretty significant. However, in the conflict, they're using 10 to 11 million rounds each year. So they have a significant deficit. North Korea has stockpiles of weapons. They are constantly making weapons. Always just kind of known that North Korea has a stockpile of weapons mm-hmm. that they aren't actively using, but always could at any moment. They're also aging. So as you know, some of those weapons might go bad, some of those rounds might go bad. And so they have kind of this unique opportunity where they really have something that North Korea does that excuse me, they have something that Russia really desperately needs. And like I said, North Korea's big need is food. Their people are starving. Um, a lot of their, they've had some significant weather conditions that have led to crops failing. And the, the COVID-19 pandemic has really just kind of decimated their food supply. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see why they'd be trying to find solace with each other in this time. So given what we know about their situation, what they need, do you think this could lead to lucrative deals and agreements in the near future, or is it more of an up-in-the-air agreement? I think it absolutely could lead to lucrative deals. I think the fact that both of them are so, so desperate, so without any other allies, they really are each other's only allies at this point, with the exception of, of states that are kind of controlled by Russia. I think, you know, Georgia or Belarus that are kind of, kind of proxy Soviet states. But on the other side, North Korea really doesn't have any other allies, and so they're just they're finding each other in this. Mm-hmm. In reference to the, the allyship between the two nations, are there external pressures that also drove them to meet, aside from the internal needs of both countries and the deficits that they're both facing? The lack of external allies is definitely a huge factor. Amelia, do you want to touch on this at all? I think that external pressures really drove them to meet because they're both so lonely. They really have no one but each other, and that forcing that forces them to really connect together to meet, especially since, like, you know, the United States and everything is kind of out to get them in a way, I think it really drives them to meet and work together. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so turning to you, Amelia, I want to ask your opinion on how Russia's war with Ukraine is impacting this meeting and as a driving force of this meeting. So if you could just recap the war thus far and how it's been progressing recently with the Ukrainian counteroffensive. Okay, so the war started a long time ago, way longer than Russia expected. It started in February of 22. And I think Russia, along with a lot of the world, thought that Ukraine would give up really easily. They didn't think they had the manpower or the will to fight back. But after they attacked Kiev the first time, it really showed that Ukraine had something to fight for. And they did. 
because Russia is now facing the lack of ammunition and they really have no option but to ask others for help or else they're looking at the short end of the stick. They might fall because of their own problems. So Russia definitely had some different ex- initial expectations of the war as compared to how it's going now, right? Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. And so how might the increasing developments between North Korea and Russia impact the war? What might we be seeing relevant to Ukraine? Well, I think if their meeting successfully ends, I think Russia's going to have a lot more ammunition and they're going to put up a way bigger fight, which I think can drag the war on for much longer. Mm -hmm. I think it's just going to be a really long, ongoing war because if both sides have this much manpower and this much ammunition, it's going to be continuous. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And so on that note of implications with the war in Ukraine, I want to turn back to you, Annie, and ask about more of the implications of this meeting. Just generally, could an arms deal come out of this? What could that mean? Yeah, so I think in terms of an arms deal, it's, it's hard to say. I think, you know, one of the, the kind of consequences of both these, uh, of having two pariah states meet, is that they're also a little bit suspicious of each other. As I mentioned, they met at the Volstochny Cosmodrome for part of their meeting. This is kind of provides an interesting insight into some possible further implications of this meeting. Space technology and the space race has kind of long been seen as a way that states can um, assert power and project power over other states. And so this meeting kind of shows that North Korea is interested in entering this space, which really provides some insight into kind of where Kim Jong-un's head is at. And it also might provide some insight into Putin's response as well, because obviously having two strong states that are allies can be a good thing for both sides. If, If North Korea is able to continue providing weapons and Russia is able to kind of pay for this in food, essentially, both of which are areas that that both sides have surpluses in, then it could be a really lucrative deal. But clearly, Russia is the more powerful state in in this deal. They do have influence. They have a seat on the UN Security Council. They have more historical international standing, whereas North Korea has always been seen as an outlier, as an isolationist state. It's a little bit more of a newer position for Russia. And so Russia naturally has a little bit of a leg up in this situation. However, Kim Jong-un and North Korea kind of showing that they're interested in the space race and in in space technology shows that they might be interested in kind of amplifying themselves on the global scene to to be seen as a state that can be taken more seriously. And so this is actually potentially something that Russia is going to push back on. It's really not thought that even though they had this meeting at the Cosmodrome, it's not thought that Putin's going to share a whole lot of space technology with Russia because he doesn't really want North Korea to be powerful. He wants Russia to be in a position where, yes, they're reliant on on North Korea, but it's a very symbiotic relationship and that both need to rely on the other. And if North Korea kind of ends their end of the partnership, Russia will still be able to produce their own weapons. They will be able to provide ammunition to extend this war in other ways. North Korea is not so lucky. North Korea has really no one else they can rely on for food and their citizens are actively starving. And so in terms of an arm race, to kind of get back to your original question, it's a little bit hard to say. Personally, I I don't know if, if they'll quite get to the level of an arms deal. I can see this being a little bit more of an informal relationship. You also have the situation where neither state has confirmed that this is actually happening. We know for a fact that there was the meeting. Neither state is confirming whether or not they're actually doing this trade. And so anything that does happen is going to be very under the table, very unofficial, um, at least on an international level. And as a result, it's going to be a lot harder for them to actually create some kind of a permanent deal. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Lots of interesting points there. And it definitely sounds like as Russia and North Korea are 
nations in which the U.S. has a lot of intrigue on, we can be expected to see more on this in the future. I definitely could see this being a major headline as it develops if we're privy to that development, of course. And so on the topic of technology, with these possible technology swaps, would nuclear technology be included in this? And what could that mean for the two nations? I think it's really unlikely that nuclear tech is is included. I mean, that's just like a whole other level. I mean, right now we're seeing arms, we're seeing ammunition that can be used on the ground in Ukraine. Though both sides do have access to nuclear weapons, it's really unknown kind of to what degree North Korea actually has access to nuclear weapons or to what degree they're just projecting that they have nuclear weapons. And so I think because of this, it's, it's really unlikely that, that those nuclear weapons will come into this. As I said, I think Russia wanting to maintain a leg up in this relationship is really going to be a big factor preventing that escalation. Got you. That, that makes a lot of sense. So we've been talking a lot about Putin and Kim Jong-un as people. And as many listeners, I'm sure, know and have been following the news, Russia and North Korea, the leaders have a very interesting relationship with their constituents, with their citizens in terms of power dynamics, in terms of how the government's set up. And so how do the citizens of Russia and North Korea view the other countries in this relationship? How are North Koreans viewing Russians? What is that like in terms of the actual people in the nations as opposed to the leaders? So I think overall, it's it's kind of unknown how, especially how citizens of, of North Korea think, because that's generally not something that... Um, Western states are privy to, obviously. Mm-hmm. It definitely could be a factor for Kim Jong-un to try to elevate his status amongst his people. If he's able to secure a deal that gets his people food, then that will certainly elevate his personal standing in the eyes of the North Korean people. You know, in, in North Korean society, the um, Kim family is kind of, they're, they're seen as kind of deities. They're the all-powerful leadership. And so you know, I'm sure that you have situations when, you know, people are starving and when the economy is, is as bad as it is in North Korea, you know, that is a, a situation that can raise questions as to the true authority of, of those figures in that society. And so if Kim is able to secure a relationship that would get his people food, that would certainly improve his global standing in the eyes of his people. Mm-hmm, of as, as for the Russian people, it's a little bit unclear. You know, it's, it's, it's likely that the Russian people are going to be a little bit less thrilled as they have access to a little bit more Western media than the people of North Korea do. North Korea, as having a reputation of being such a pariah state, such an outlier in the international system, that, you know, having your state align itself with North Korea is not a good sign for your uh, kind of global standing. So it's likely that the Russian people are a little bit less thrilled. Gotcha. And I'm sure there's some element of the general population of Russia is not the most supportive of the conflict in Ukraine. And I'm sure if the Putin-Kim Jong-un deal results in increased ammunition, increased presence and power in the the conflict with Ukraine, and that escalates and continues, that will spell more disaster for the Russian population on a whole. Absolutely. That's a great point. And turning to you, Amelia, now, I want to talk some more about perspectives in the rest of the Asian region, as well as the West, on this meeting. So starting off, how do Russia and North Korea feel about the current relations within Asia and also with the United States? So Russia and North Korea both have the same concerns about rising U.S. influence in Eastern Asia. And they're also worried about the fact that there's an increase of security alliance between the United States, Japan, and South Korea. I think it's something they really have in the back of their minds. In a way, I think their meeting is also an intimidation factor to the West because we've 
had so many conflicts with them, and I think it's really just trying to show them that, like, hey, we're the big guys. We're mm. meeting. It's Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, we don't know if it's an empty threat, but I think it's definitely meant to be threatening. Oh, yeah, a threat nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, obviously... Definitely. Anybody who is a listener in the United States, I'm sure, has seen Russia and North Korea in the news many times. There's mm-hmm. very obvious conflict and tension there within, you know, the Western yeah. Hemisphere on a whole and North Korea and Russia, particularly in the East. So I definitely see your point there about it, an intimidation factor. And so how have other countries within the um, Asian region responded to the meeting between Putin and Kim Jong-un? So starting off with China, China you know, in general, during the whole war with Russia and Ukraine, has been very neutral. They haven't really given a proper statement like, hey, this is bad, because if they do, that ends their neutrality. Mm -hmm. And they need to keep that, because they don't want to pick sides. They don't want to have enemies, to put it better. So they can't really do anything, because that would impact their relationship with North Korea. And, you know, they're fearful of North Korea, like Mm -hmm. most people are. Absolutely, especially being a neighbor to North Korea as well. yeah. And then going on to Japan, Japan already faced problems with North Korea, such as the missile launch in April of 2023, and they put their opinion out there that they don't think this meeting is good, they're really against it, and, you know, some people are even saying that if they are to have a deal come out of this, it's, it's violating the UN code, you know, they can't really do anything. And South Korea had the same idea. They're saying that anything they do, whether it's trading satellite systems or technology, it's violating the UN Security Council. And South Korea also has stated that they don't agree with this considering they are an enemy of North Korea. So mainly besides China, everyone's pretty much against it. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely caused a stir in tensions in that region, which has already been racked with tension before um, with different conflicts occurring within those those nations. Now it's just rising tensions. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So what concerns does looking at the West have in regards to the North Korea and Russia's relations on a whole? So the United States and the United Kingdom have both expressed their concerns about if Kim is to provide ammunition and weapons to Russia, it could drastically change how the war is going. It could make the war way worse for Ukraine, and we've already helped them so much in the U.S. Mm -hmm. How much more can we give them? Exactly, and I know that there's been some recent developments with um, the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, coming to the U.S., asking for Mm -hmm. aid, asking for more help in the war, I know there's definitely been some tension within Congress and the yeah. de- and Democrats and Republicans as far as how much aid to be giving to Ukraine. So I can definitely see your point how mm-hmm. this will escalate the tensions within the U.S., within war with Russia and Ukraine, just a lot of escalation in general, yeah. Yeah, because the U.S., you know, we've helped Ukraine so much. And also, if they get into a worse, you know, a worse situation with Russia, we don't know how much more we can give them. That's why... The U.S. has taken a really aggressive point on the whole meeting, saying, like, if something was to happen, if an arms dealer, if they were to trade off any sort of information with each other, they'd be really heads-on about it. They wouldn't Mm -hmm. hesitate to act on anything that happens between the two countries. And I think that's showing, you know, our support for Ukraine while also not directly stating, like, hey, we're going to give you, you know, millions of millions of Mm -hmm. dollars that we already have. So I think we're supporting Ukraine and trying to help them as best as we can, while also making a subtle note that North Korea and 
Russia are still our enemies. I think another factor that makes this really interesting is that Russia is, as I mentioned before, a permanent member of the UN Security Council, and there are significant sanctions against North Korea. That's part of why the the food situation in North Korea is so dire is because of the sanctions that are against them, that they're really not supposed to have external relations with anyone. It's the West's way, main way of controlling North Korea. And so if Russia was to go about creating some kind of arms deal, creating some kind of situation in which they're aiding North Korea, they will be, as a permanent member of the UN Security Council, in direct violation of sanctions that the UN has put against North Korea, which is a very strange situation that the international yeah. system has never really seen. And I think something else that you'll see is that that will really go to just kind of shatter any relations that Russia has with the West. I mean, they're they're already obviously on very thin ice because of the, mm. the Ukrainian war. And, you know, relations with, with the West have been in shambles, but I think that would just, like, really be the icing on the cake of, of Russia being fully excluded, which would be a situation that we've never really seen, because even think during the Cold War, there were still relations, and I think it wouldn't be unreasonable for, for the West to go, to almost, like, take actions to kick Russia out of the UN Security Council. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how significant we're talking here. Like, this could be a really, really big deal. Absolutely, and that would definitely shift relations that we've never seen before, like you said, ever since the Cold War, even dating back further, we've always had some sort of relation with Russia. Absolutely. And on the note of shifting relations with the Western countries, Back to you, Amelia. How have the U.S., the U.K., other Western countries responded to this recent meeting? So like I said, the U.S. really took a heads-on approach as in, hey, you guys do this, we're going to fight back. We're going to show you what it's about. And it really shows that they're not afraid to fight back if if Russia violates the U.N., you know? Mm -hmm. And then the U.K. urged North Korea to end the arms deal because it just shows how isolated, you know, Moscow has become and how just in general they're so isolated the two countries they only have each other Russia has almost no support from anyone mm-hmm. and their arms deal really just shows like how alone they are in the whole world and the UK is urging them to just end it to go their you know separate ways gotcha and Kind of to wrap up this whole discussion, I want to talk about just some final thoughts. So turning to you, Annie, do you think we can expect these meetings between Putin and Kim Jong-un to become more frequent? How might that shift the dynamics in the East? Is this something that we should be paying attention to? Yeah, I absolutely think think there's the potential for that. A lot of it is probably going to depend on how this initial meeting goes to see whether there is actually a deal that comes out of it, if they're able to provide each other support in the ways that the international community feels that they might. But if this meeting goes well, if both countries are indeed able to be as mutually beneficial as they might, then yes, I think you will absolutely see these meetings become more frequent. As Amelia has mentioned, they're really each other's only allies at this point, and so it, it's the result of two dire situations, essentially. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. No, a- absolutely. And I know as we've harped on this topic multiple times, but it would definitely rearrange the current international stage, how the actors are in relation to each other, seeing as Russia has never been this isolated before. Obviously, there has been some contention with them on the global stage, especially with the United States. It's been on and off of, are we supportive? Are we allies? Are we against each other at this point? But it's never been true isolation. Absolutely. Yeah, so definitely be a new 
beast to contend with yes. when looking at international relations. For sure. And turn to you, Amelia, what do you think is the outlook towards the future of both Russia and North Korea, given what we know about this meeting and the context surrounding it? Yeah, I think they're both playing with fire right now. And mm -hmm. specifically looking at Russia, I think if Russia gets what they want out of this deal, it could be really bad for Ukraine because Russia, although alone, is very powerful. Although Ukraine holds the majority of international support, Russia and North Korea is a very dangerous com combination considering they are two of the m most powerful countries, not including the United States. And with Ukraine already facing Russia, I'm not sure how well they could hold up against North Korea as well. Mm -hmm. And then looking at North Korea, I think for the future, they requested space technology or, you know, people have said that, that that's what they're looking for. And I think, in my opinion, I don't think they're going anywhere with it. I really think it's empty threats. They're trying to, I think, put pressure on South Korea and the U.S. to show them that they're the big guys in the world. Mm -hmm. And North Korea's progression with satellites has already been so controversial. And the United States believes that the progress is a violation of the United Nations security. So I don't really think they're going to go any further because they're already hated by everyone. They're already so alone. And if they push this any further, they're really going to be just just by themselves. Yeah, so a, a space race wouldn't even really be a, a possibility. It would be more of a complete and utter isolation of, yeah, of I, North I Korea. We wouldn't even contend with them for a space race. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we'd try. I mm -hmm. think we'd, if it gets to that point, I think the U.S. would just back off and let North Korea, you know, do its thing. Gotcha. Well, it's very, very interesting on both ends. I definitely think this has been a really great discussion. I wanted to thank you both, Annie and Amelia, for coming on. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Joining me now to round out some other headlines this week is our news briefer, Aaron M. Hey, Aaron. Hello. So what headlines do you have for us this week? So I have the United Nations General Assembly meetings are underway. Six Palestinians killed in the West Bank and Gaza, and Armenian separatists agreed to a ceasefire with Azerbaijan in Nagorno-Karabakh. Lots of interesting stories to cover today. Let's start with the news from the United Nations. So on September 19th, the United Nations started their General Assembly meeting and debates in New York. All the world leaders came together to discuss different topics that are affecting the global world order. Secretary General of the UN Antonio Guterres commented on the idea that the world is becoming filled with political and geopolitical challenges. Some topics that are discussed on the first few days include rampant inequalities in the world, the current climate crisis affecting our planet, and the ongoing Russian invasion of Ukraine affecting geopolitics. The UN will continue to convene until December. And we'll continue to keep up with all the news coming from that assembly. And what of the violence in the West Bank? Mm -hmm. The Palestinian Health Ministry said the, that four people were killed and another 30 were injured by Israeli authorities while raiding the Janin refugee camp in the occupied areas of the West Bank. Another Palestinian was killed at another refugee camp r raid, and another person was killed by Israeli fire in the Gaza Strip. One of the people killed at the refugee camps was only 19 years old. Israel stated that the reason the raid was conducted was to dismantle militant networks to prevent any future attacks. Violence between Israelis and Palestinians have been on the rise over the past year and a half. That'll definitely be a situation to be watching. And our last story? So ethnic Armenian separatist forces agreed to a ceasefire with the Azerbaijani government after Baku decided to launch an offensive to fully control the region. 
Under the agreement, the separatist forces agreed to disarm and disband the organization and started to talk about the future of Nagorno-Karabakh and the ethnic Armenians living in the region. Separatists said they were forced to do so after the Azerbaijani military broke through their lines of defense. It said that this step would be a path for Azerbaijan to integrate the Armenian population into the country. However, Armenia believes that Baku is trying to ethnically cleanse the region. Another dire situation we'll be sure to keep up on. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Aaron. Hey, thank you for having me. And that is all the time we have for today. Be sure to follow The Global Current on Instagram and LinkedIn for updates on upcoming shows. This show would not have been possible without our dedicated crew, executive producer Bobby Kyle, associate producers Kasha Kastraba and Juliana Mori, technical producer Ashley Skladani, and of course your host, Trisha Ballion. The Global Current is brought to you by Seton Hall University. As always, keep it current with us and catch us on the waves every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. on 89.fm WSOU. Until next time, thank you.